episode 83, Dante's Divine Comedy. There are a couple reasons I wanted to do an episode on Dante's Divine Comedy. The first most practical one is the fact that it's the latest audiobook I'm working on, and you can have access to it when it's completed. I've got the first four cantos done, and they're on my Patreon, patreon.com slash catholicdailybrief. So if you become a member, you'll be able to have access to this audiobook. Of course, it'll be rather lengthy uh, when it's finished. Already completed, I have uh, C.S. Lewis's Great Divorce, Robert Hugh Benson's Lord of the World, A Good Man is Hard to Find by Flannery O'Connor, and The Hint of an Explanation by Graham Greene. These are all available there. So that's one of the main reasons I wanted to do this episode is because I'm going through it again in doing the audiobook. And also it represents a lot of the things that I've been doing on the podcast. From the very beginning, it was about the first 20 or so episodes were about apologetics, using reason to lead us to an understanding of the mysteries of God. And that's precisely what the structure of Dante's Divine Comedy is. He makes his way through hell and purgatory with the aid of Virgil, who represents reason, and then through heaven with Beatrice, who represents revelation or theology. And we'll get into that a little bit more. So that coincides with a lot of what we're doing. We use a lot of St. Thomas Aquinas in, in many of these episodes, and it's widely known that Dante, in his Divine Comedy, basically represents, is illustrating in poetry what St. Thomas did in his Summa Theologiae. So he was very much inspired by the theology of St. Thomas, as much of the church was and is. And also because it represents a reflection on the last things, right? We're necessarily thinking about the last things as we go through hell and purgatory and heaven in the Divine Comedy. And this is something also that was presented in The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis, the other audiobook I did. And in Advent, we talked about the importance on reflecting on the last things. And as the world gets crazier and crazier and things seem to be falling apart, which we've talked about in a couple of episodes, it becomes even more important to reflect on the last things. If Christ is coming again soon, obviously it's important to reflect on those last things. But even if not, the way things are going should make us reflect on our own death, whenever that might be, and we never know when it's going to be. So we always should have those last things in our minds, and it's great gift to all of us from Dante to give us such a vivid representation of hell and heaven, and, of course, various other theological truths presented in his Divine Comedy. This episode's not going to be a detailed commentary on all the aspects of the Divine Comedy. I'm not educated enough to do that. There are great experts scholars who have dedicated much of their career to studying, understanding, and articulating all the details of the poem. But I do want to give just some basic themes to keep in mind if you read it, which I recommend you do. Everyone should read this at least once in their life. Some people are dissuaded from reading it because they run into historical references or characters that they don't know, they're not familiar with. But that shouldn't be too much of an obstacle because everyone can take away the great themes presented in this work. So yeah, if you're concerned about all those details, find a good edition with good footnotes that explain the historical parts. But don't let that concern you too much because there are universal themes and truths that are conveyed even if you don't know all the little minutiae of history. If you're not familiar with the basic story, Dante finds himself in a dark forest and he can't make his way up a mountain that he sees. He's blocked by various creatures and the explanation of those creatures is very interesting and it's commented on by many scholars. I won't go into it here. But then, since he can't make his way up a mountain due to these beasts, he finds a man standing there, or rather a ghost-like 
figure or a shade as they're often referred to in this. And it turns out that it's Virgil, the Roman poet, the one who wrote the Aeneid. And Virgil tells Dante that he needs to go by another way. And that way is through hell, then up the mountain of purgatory in order to get to heaven. And he says he was sent by a woman in heaven named Beatrice, who is someone that Dante actually loved in his real life. And she represents heavenly love or faith or grace or theology. And so Virgil accompanies him down through the depths of hell and then up the mountain of purgatory. And since he represents reason, that's as far as he can take him. We consider Virgil one of the noble pagans, that is someone that lived as virtuously and attained the wisdom, the highest wisdom that one can attain without the aid of grace and revelation. So he is his guide and leads him as far as he can, though of course he can't enter heaven because he lacks the grace of faith. And we are introduced to others like him in kind of the entryway to hell or limbo where you have people like Aristotle and Plato and Socrates and the Roman poets like Horace and Ovid. So this is one of the main points of the poem. As I mentioned before, it's this harmony or relationship between faith and reason. That's a very important fundamental truth of our faith that reason and revelation or faith and reason don't contradict each other. That grace elevates or faith elevates reason and it doesn't contradict it. And that reason prepares us for faith prepares us for grace. That's what uh, you know, natural apologetics is, is using our bare reason to understand certain things about the world so that we can receive the grace of faith. You know, coming to know the existence of God through our reason, coming to know the existence of our spiritual soul, coming to know the reality of good and evil. Reason aids our path to God, but it can only, re it can only take us so far. It does take us very far. Philosophy takes us to higher truths than are immediately apparent to us, but it can't take us to supreme truths, the revealed mysteries of God, the, the mystery of the Trinity and the mystery of the Incarnation and other mysteries of the faith that transcend our reason but don't contradict it. That's why Virgil can only take Dante so far. He's not allowed entrance into heaven. But it was Virgil, the representative of human wisdom and reason, who was sent by heaven. And so this shows the relationship between faith and reason very beautifully. It's Beatrice that enlists Virgil to help Dante reach the supreme truth of God, first, of course, using natural reason and philosophy. So that's one of the most important takeaways of the whole work is the complementarity of faith and reason and how faith perfects reason, how grace perfects nature, that the things in the natural realm cannot contradict or be opposed to things in the supernatural realm because both were created by God. Both are from God as their ultimate source. So just as God cannot contradict himself, the natural and the supernatural can't contradict, though the supernatural does transcend the natural. Of course, to clarify, we can contradict grace by our sin. That is, we can oppose our will to God. I just mean that by their very nature, the natural and the supernatural do not contradict each other. Though yes, we can turn our wills against God and contradict him and his will in that way. And that leads to another important aspect of Dante's Divine Comedy is that it's a moral treatise. It teaches us about virtue and vice. And it does so in a vivid way, especially in the Inferno, when we see the very colorful punishments that are inflicted upon sinners according to the sin that led them to hell or the primary sin that led them to that led them to hell so in the first few circles of hell you have those that are punished because of the sins of the base passions such as lust and gluttony 
And in the deeper circles of hell, you have those that committed sins against the higher parts of our nature, the, the intellect and the will, and especially faith. You know, those who were heretics or those who were fraudsters or those who were traitors, and traitors being the worst, of course. You have Satan himself there because of his refusal to God, his betrayal of the one who created him and with him, in fact, being chewed by him are Brutus and Cassius, you know, famous traitors to Caesar, but Judas, the worst of all, the one who betrayed Christ. And because of his punishment, you see why Christ said it would be better for him if he had never been born, because according to Dante, he's in the very depths of hell in the mouth of the devil himself. So as Dante describes all of these sinners and their punishments, and if we see the hierarchy of their punishments or the sins, he's teaching us about good and evil, and he's teaching us about human nature, he's teaching us about the nature of sin and the difference between various sins, and the same is true in purgatory when we see the reparation being made by those who are being purified on their way to heaven, he's teaching us about the various virtues that are opposed to the vices for which these people are suffering. And so it's not just some fantastical story he's telling to be very exciting and, and morbid and whatever. It's teaching us about the proper Christian understanding of the intellect, the will, the passions, and how virtue and vice are related to each of them. So perhaps in a more proper way, you could say it's a treatise on holiness, how to understand sin and those things which incline us to sin, to understand the damage sin does to us, and to do all of that to purify us in order that we might desire holiness. And of course, after confronting all the horrible pains and punishments in hell, we are given an image of the virtues to cultivate to oppose those sins. And then finally reaching paradise, reaching heaven, we see what the perfection of the human intellect and will and passions looks like in the glory of the saints. And so not only is Dante prepared gradually in going through hell and then purgatory on his way to heaven. But we, if we read it well, are prepared to understand much better the glories of heaven once we have understood both the pains of hell and the purification needed of our minds, our wills, and our passions than if we were to just read the Paradiso on its own without having first read the Inferno and the Purgatorio. So to summarize, it's a beautiful meditation on the relationship of faith and reason, of nature and grace. It helps us meditate on the last things to abhor hell and the eternal separation from God that is experienced there in addition to other punishments. But also it prompts us to turn away from that to understand virtue and holiness and the asceticism and purification we need to voluntarily undertake in order to be able to enter heaven. Because everything that's done in each of these places is done freely. Those in hell desire hell, as strange as that might seem to us. Those in purgatory don't want to enter heaven until they have become perfect through, purific through purifying suffering. And of course, those in heaven, their wills are completely filled to overflowing. So it's, a, of course, a beautiful work of art. It's a beautiful theological treatise on faith and reason. It's a beautiful moral manual helping us understand virtue and vice. And it points, us, it points our minds and our wills in the right direction to fear hell, but more importantly, to desire the glories of heaven. So everyone should read this, like I said. Everyone should read it at least once in their life because it's perhaps one of the greatest literary works ever made. 
And I think in addition to being just beautiful to read and beautiful to hear, it's also very spiritually edifying and can be a great aid in your spiritual progress. So of course, I'd recommend listening to the audiobook I'm working on, again at patreon.com slash catholicdailybrief. I don't provide any commentary during the audiobook. Of course, there's no footnotes. It's just uh, maybe a, a first introduction to the work. Sometimes it's hard to read it. It's poetically written, so sometimes uh, it might be unclear what's being said, and I try in the audiobook to, I try and recite it in a way that sounds most natural to the ear, so it's not maybe as confusing as it would be looking at it on the page, but if you don't want to listen to my audiobook, there are other ones out there as well that you could purchase. For a detailed commentary on all of the things that are present in this huge poem, I'd point you to someone like Anthony Esselin or other Catholic authors who have spent a lot of time studying and explaining and teaching this work, something that I can't do. So all I'm doing is just presenting it to those who haven't read it before so that they, in some of the things we talked about in this podcast, have some themes in mind to kind of guide them through or to understand what's going on uh, in the work. So to conclude, I'll just add a small excerpt of the audiobook just to give you an idea of the pace and how it sounds and, and the language. I use the translation of the Divine Comedy by the poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. It's a more formal style of English, but it is, it is beautiful once you get used to how it sounds. Only a turn, and I eternal last. All hope abandon, ye who enter in. These words in somber color I beheld, written upon the summit of a gate, whence I, their sense is, master, hard to me, and he to me, as one experienced. Here all suspicion needs must be abandoned, all cowardice must needs be here extinct. We to the place have come, where I have told thee thou shalt behold the people dolorous, who have foregone the good of intellect. And after he had laid his hand on mine with joyful mien, whence I was comforted, he led me in among the secret things. Their sighs, complaints, and ululations loud resounded through the air without a star, whence I, at the beginning, wept thereat. Languages diverse, horrible dialects, accents of anger, words of agony, and voices high and hoarse with sound of hands made up a tumult that goes whirling on forever in that air, forever black, even as the sand doth when the whirlwind breathes. And I, who had my head with horror bound, said, Master, what is this which now I hear? What folk is this, which seems by pain so vanquished? Thank you for listening to Catholic Daily Brief. Please give a five-star rating and a good review if you have a moment. And also share this podcast with your family and friends. God bless.